What episode is this? 43. 43. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 23. No. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was... Episode 23. I was thinking... Just way back in time. No, no, no. I was thinking tomorrow's the 23rd we're releasing yeah. this episode because I was like, I need to say something about Christmas. I am Ryan and with my... Ryan. Ooh. Ryan. I am Ryan and with my... With me is my good friend and fellow host. I'm Ryan, and with my... Oh, my God, I did it again. Pathetic. You want to do the intro this time? What is happening right now? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 43. In this episode, we are talking about Silent Night by Stanley Weintraub. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 43, more commonly known as our Christmas episode. It is. Or holiday episode. I guess we should be inclusive, but... But we're not. We read a Christmas book. That is true, and we did read A Christmas Carol last year. Which uh, I guess is a nice little aside. We've noticed a little spike in uh, in listenership for yeah. last year's episode. So if you're feeling especially in the in the Christmas spirit, why don't you go back and give that one a listen? That was a fun one, a Christmas Carol last year, and we talked about all sorts of other weird Christmas favorite Christmas traditions things and things. And we'll, we may get into some of that today because yeah. spoiler alert: I don't think this book's going to take an hour. Um, no. But uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a pretty interesting episode. It'll at least start off as a fairly traditional episode. We'll tell you a little bit about the author. I'll give you a brief summary. And then we're just going to jump into, I guess, kind of the meat of this book. Because uh, this was an interesting choice, mostly because it was nonfiction. We hadn't done nonfiction. Uh, But also just the whole Christmas narrative of, of it and... You know, surrounding wartime and all that. And then, of course, we'll get to our patented three-tier four if we're getting rid of it. Five if we're uh, putting it in a trench or burying it in a mutual grave and singing Christmas carols with our, you know, sworn wartime enemies. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to get that far. Probably not. And then uh, we may we may, we may, may shoot the shit about some Christmassy stuff. Uh, For sure. Before talking about how we're going to end the year. Well, I guess this technically ends the year. How we're going to start... Yes. 2020 and what you guys have in store with us there. So, yeah, excellent. hopefully and not sick me because this has been kind of runner runner. Maybe not exactly, but yeah, sandwiched in on on Earth. We're briefly gorgeous sandwiched with two episodes where I was sick or recovering yeah. from being sick. So, yeah, this one, you sound a little bit more uh, stuffy than than the last one. Yeah, so. I'm having to constantly lean over and breathe off mic <laughs> because I, I cannot breathe through my nose and I don't want to just be like, <sighs> <laughs> I don't try to minimize the mouth breathing for this yeah. episode. Yep, yep, yep. So we're just kind of we're doing a, a quick little lean and turn bit. So if my voice kind of cuts in and out like that, that's <laughs> that's what's going on with me right there. So All right. makes makes total sense. So let's get into this. Let's. What do you what do you got for us about Stanley Weintraub or Stanley Weintraub? I don't know. We, yeah, we I kind of waffled I on the pronunciation. I and, didn't I didn't honestly look it up. Um, so I don't know how he pronounces it. Wow. But, uh, my guess is historically it was the it was the German vernacular, but given that he was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, probably wine uh, in April 1929, it's probably wine trouble. Probably wine trouble. Uh, and he actually passed away uh, last July, July 28th um, of of 2019. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, also in Pennsylvania. Um, 
yeah, I, he, he was kind of a, a relatively unremarkable person in in like you know his life, or I should say, that, you know, he didn't do anything extraordinary for his generation. He served in the Korean War. He did get a Bronze Star, um, and uh, he went to Penn State. Uh, had some kids, got married. The most exceptional thing about him, by far, is uh, that he wrote an extraordinary amount of books uh, in his in his lifetime. And I was going to just read all of the titles, but seriously, it's like 10 scrolls on, and it all, on Wikipedia. And it all revolves around just the historical context, right? Yeah. Because he was a professor. Yes. He worked at, what, Penn State? Yeah. And he was, he was awarded an honorary degree of Doctor of Letters uh, by the Westchester University of Pennsylvania. So... Interesting. Um, clearly, he was like prolific in his academia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, well, I mean, to be fair, yeah. Approaching this book, I wasn't really, I wasn't really dead set on getting us, you know, any type of prolific author. It was yeah. more so just, oh, this this could be an interesting little bit about Christmas because yeah. it's either that or uh, skipping Christmas by John Grisham, aka Christmas with the Cranks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that movie. It was okay. I think it was terrible. It was okay. Is it with uh, Tim Allen? Was Tim kind Allen of phoning it in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dan Aykroyd's worth the watch, though. It's he's like always, the, he's it's like the insane, overbearing, yeah. like neighborhood head honcho guy. Yeah. So yeah, Dan Aykroyd is is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, great out the Great Outdoors with John yeah. Candy, uh, where Dan Aykroyd's his I think it's his brother in law. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent. Excellent character. We're getting way off topic yeah, we are. here. So let's okay. bring it back in. Silent Night. Yeah. So have you first of all, I don't know that I've ever read anything about World War One. I've done a ton of research about World War Two. Um, and I think this is probably the first book that I've read like cover to cover about World War One. Yeah, I don't think I've specifically read any nonfiction about World War One. I I'm a big uh I like watching documentaries or yeah. or movies or anything like that. And I feel like we kind of reached that point where we're so over inundated with World War Two that the the hip thing to do was then to kind of go back and do stuff on World War One. Yeah, because it is kind of overshadowed by the the scope and the scale and just mm-hmm. the personalities that existed yep. in in World War Two versus World War One. And so, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting, kind of getting that little microcosm. And and at least getting some of the background too. I mean, that was one of the things off the off right off the bat with this book that uh, I was not expecting was very just kind of like uh, I don't know, like I wasn't as up to date on my World War One information. So some of the stuff that was going on as far mm-hmm. as just like your different uh, divisions or regiments or uh, all these kind of players and pieces involved. I was like, wait a minute, okay, hold on, what? All right, I pause. I need to get some context for this right, real quick. Right. This was definitely not something, I mean, unless you're specifically looking for just kind of the Christmas truth story of it, Mm -hmm. but if you're reading this book as part of sort of a bigger uh, recollection of of World War I, it definitely requires a good deal of outside context to really figure out what the hell's going on. That is, yeah, that's probably the, the most important point, I think, about this entire book, is that I found as I was reading it, um because I didn't have that that same context for even like I had to go back and refresh myself on who was fighting um, on which side and why 
yeah. um, because I had, I'd forgotten a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I had to go sort of give myself that context. But then I was even just ignoring it at some point, like who was doing what? And I was just trying to hone in on on some of the firsthand accounts that he that he has in there. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't really give a shit, you know, who on which side or, or what person was was doing which thing. I just wanted to know, like, what happened and. That was that was kind of it. Yeah. Let's take a step back, I okay. guess, in a more meta way, because this is the first strictly nonfiction book that we've read on the podcast. Yeah. What, you know, whenever I've kind of developed an approach, obviously, over the course of the two-ish or almost two years that we've been doing this, where mm-hmm. I kind of have a very formulaic approach to how I get into a book, the things that I'm like immediately kind of like looking for and analyzing as I'm reading to try to, to pull out aside from just, you know, reading just to read. Yeah. And um, I got to say, for me, it was a little bit different just just because there was not, uh, I don't know, there was not the usual elements there that you kind of like, okay, I'm focusing on this character. I'm starting to think like, I, I'm, I'm starting to think extra critical about what's going on with them. I'm mm-hmm. paying attention to all these, these different plot points. So what, I don't know, I was going to say like, what, what was your approach not only to just reading the book because you know we we both read nonfiction yeah. in our in our I guess private time but yeah not podcast just, reading list yeah but just approaching that in a way that kind of merges well with how you normally mentally prepare for one of these episodes or how you kind of translate your thoughts on it into the podcast because I know for me I struggled a little bit just yeah, yeah. having that usual commentary on things. I mean, there there are obviously things in the book I like and dislike, and we can get mm-hmm. to that here mm-hmm. in a bit, but I guess just general from step one, the kind of meta approach to this book versus the fiction that we've read. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my biggest concern was normally, you know, we pick apart a book um, in a lot of different ways, right? Right. And it's not always like content, and when you read nonfiction, sure. like, All it is especially is like, yeah, historical nonfiction like this, it's all about the content. Although, um, I would I would argue that uh, there are some books that you know, or some writers that have have done um, nonfiction better than others because you can still write in an engaging style mm-hmm. um, and and still get that that point across. Um, and so I was just sort of as I approached reading it, thinking, okay, I need to I need to get out sort of the heart of whatever this book is about, right? The the actual truths and the things that surround it. I also need to to figure out um, you know, how this writer's style um and presentation compares to some of the other books that I've read outside of the podcast, you know, specifically around World War II. You know, is it engaging? Does it you know, clearly illustrate, you know, the, the content, the context of, you know, the content that he's writing about. Yeah. Um, do you understand enough about how, you know, people <laughs> interacted um, during the war and how, you know, people behave in their private lives um, to, you know, make this have meaning? So th- there yeah. were a lot of things that I was just th- that were kind of bouncing around, like as I as I came to this. But it was a weirder episode because normally with fiction, I can sort of just take it all in and I don't have to think about any of that. It's just sort of um, like a reflex at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's very natural. Yeah. The the things that we kind of look for, the things that we're naturally critical of or the things that we naturally gravitate towards in discussions and themes, is it's, it's very easy to kind of uh, 
go in and with a with a fiction writer to kind of pick up on the mm-hmm. direction that they're trying to go and maybe there's a lot of wiggle room uh, for us in interpreting kind of what right. they're doing and and that's half of reading right is your own interpretation of what you're taking in and that's kind of that personal experience of of yeah. it whereas nonfiction it's typically like here is here's what I'm trying to tell you it's the story mm-hmm. and then typically you'll get kind of the author's maybe comments or thoughts or how it affected something else. And so there's a lot less room for you to kind of have a personal interpretation of these things, which is, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is fine for your own personal reading. If you're just reading to try to, you find a subject interesting enough to want to learn more about it versus fiction where you're reading because you want to have a story or you want to sort of, uh, see what kind of interesting themes are dealt with through the context of uh, a character-driven, you know, interaction or just weird stuff like that. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a different approach, but I think all things considered, how would you rate the book as far as like readability? I mean, outside of the outside of the like little interjections of, of background, mm-hmm. so much of this is told through kind of the. I do appreciate the like first person, heavily first person sourced nature of this book. Yeah. So that I don't really necessarily have to worry. Because that's one of the things too with historical uh, nonfiction is a lot about, it tells you more about the writer than it does about the events because so much of it is kind of like given to you through the lens of what their own kind of personal research is on it or what their own kind of views skew towards one side or the other. But this one's very much... It's it's kind of laid out there. A mm-hmm. lot of first person sources, a lot of the memoirs, notes, recollections of things that happened uh, leading up to and during kind of the the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and a few days after as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like I like the first person accounts. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting to hear in people's own words. You know, with the sort of colloquial you know speak and even yeah. some of the the military jargon. You know, in in between those things, um, yeah, it's it's cool to see that. But on the other hand, I think the there, it was I struggled in this book with sort of the the linearity of it, right? So you had this sort of like broken up um, alignment of of truces along these you know different different fronts and boundaries. Yeah, and you know he he called them out sometimes by location, a lot of times by you know the the specific regiments and and uh, you know infantry units that were yeah. that were involved, and it's hard to to like tie in um, you know all of those things. I also think that I struggled a little bit with the way that he structured sort of the um, the Christmas Eve versus the Christmas Day stuff. Yeah. Um, it wasn't apparent to me until. Really, he was already through with all of that. That that was like he was kind of jumping a little bit around. Yeah. Like so, he you know tried to really cover Christmas Eve first, and then move to Christmas Day. But there were still some interjections in there. Yeah. And then he would like pull back. So uh, structurally, I had I had some problems with like Mm -hmm. how he arranged some of the the story. But you know, again, I've uh, I don't know how else you know you necessarily do that in a you know nonfiction. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that if you had it kind of more in line chronologically, then it would make for an easier read. But at the same time, then you would have it sort of jumping between different areas and different events. And that would be kind of a little bit haphazard for me. I I did like how it kind of was centered around kind of like a central experience 
on the eve and on the day. And then it would kind of jump around to others as well. And we kind of saw the difference in, you know, when you're talking about only a few miles or, 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 you know, things between the difference in these, in these celebrations being full blown, you know, everybody's up and out of the trenches and playing, you know, soccer or football, whatever. Yeah. Versus, you know, some of them were, it was still very hostile or very like a cold kind of just like Merry Christmas. We're not going to shoot at you, but we're not going to get out of the trench and play soccer and all that. Yeah. Your British Indians sort of, uh, being reminded of Diwali. So, yeah. So uh, let's, let's talk about just the actual event in and of itself. Okay. So I think that it's, it's an extraordinary story like in and of itself, right? Like the fact that with, you know, basically rudimentary like communication and like literal like trust of, you know, the enemy taking your life in, into their hands. Sure. I mean, it's it's really an astonishing story to go from, you know, a full-fledged war of attrition to, you know, being able to walk out and even just, you know, meet in the middle literally yeah and uh and just have a conversation sure and, i mean i think oh sorry well, i was just gonna say and 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 to do that like with um completely different countries at a at a time you know where the germans have you know come into france and taken over belgium and and you know they are on enemy territory um to still find like the 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 similarities in the people that you know you're killing and that are killing you sure um it's it's really a, an incredible story i knew nothing about it before you suggested it never yeah. heard of it yeah i had heard of it uh but not in detail i had heard of it kind of like how it's presented at the beginning of the book or yeah. the, the three myths of world war 1 and um that's kind of i'd heard about it before there was you know at some point during world war 1 there was but I always thought it was so, I, I thought it was very like, it was one group, like yeah, one yeah. little thing. And I, I wasn't aware as to like how widespread it was, even though, you know, again, it differed and then right. some places it didn't happen and others. But yeah, I mean, um, it is, it is kind of, it is kind of fascinating just that sort of barrier that's bridged and. To be fair, at this point, they're only five months into the war, and I know that sounds it's like, oh, wow, only five months of fighting, but first winter, things had really not gotten uh, to the extreme, and we see kind of examples later on in the, the following year and where we have concerted efforts to prevent anything like that happening yeah. alongside, well, you know, troop morale at that point is so damaged, yep. but... No, I think it it absolutely makes sense when you see kind of the background on everything where you already kind of have these little these little fits of of armistices here and there whenever it's convenient for both sides to you know bury their dead or eat or do any of these other things and then you kind of lead up to to Christmas. Um I did think it was kind of uh I guess funny's not the right word but in kind of a dark humor way, you know, you had the the Scots and the Brits who were very kind of like Congenial with the Germans, and very kind of like open to these sorts of things. Meanwhile, yeah. the Belgians and French were just like, mm. "Well, I mean, they're the ones that had their <laughs> yeah. country." Like you guys invaded. are, we're currently fighting in our country, so right. less, less, uh, less, just sort of uh, laissez-faire about this whole thing. So. Yeah, and I mean, totally, totally understandable. But the the other thing that I think was really interesting is you know just the amount of of people you know that they referenced. 
uh, all the Germans that worked in London or lived in in sure know, the, in the UK or Britain and, and you know all, just all the ties that they had like you know across the way they they mentioned uh, one of the British soldiers had a cousin or cousins in Munich or or yeah. something so. I mean, and one of the guys had a German barber too. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I loved, I loved that story. So. Uh, yeah, it's just the, it's it's strange to think, you know, that both of these huge wars happened within you know fifty years of each other. Yeah, and you know, you still you have so many ties you know, across you know regions and. I mean, Germany, same thing in, in the run-up to World War II. All they want, really, is approval and acceptance from, uh, you know, the, the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, almost in, in the same way that, like, North Korea does. Yeah. Like, in, in that sort of sense, they want to be brought into the fold and, and be one of, you know, the, the big boys, so to speak. And uh, it's it's funny that Germany twice has, has gone through that and, you know, been sort of jilted by... These Western European countries, jilted by Western uh, yeah, European countries. I don't, I don't know what else you call it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not going to argue the background for. No, I, no I'm not saying that's the cause for either war. I'm just, I'm just saying that was. <laughs> that was. Yeah, sort of sorry, a, if, sorry. That if was, I, that was an I internal, mis- I guess, sort of an internal struggle for them, feeling rejected. No, it, it's on it's, a global it, stage. It seriously was. It, I mean. Yeah. Really, especially leading into into World War Two, like the Germans really tried like, their damnedest through diplomacy to you know get uh, people to um, come travel and you know vacation in yeah. uh, in Germany. Matter of fact, I read a fantastic book um, called Travelers in the Third Reich, and it was all about um, you know Western Europeans and Americans that were either you know studying abroad you know in the nineteen twenties and early thirties. Well, mm-hmm. actually. Through the through the late '30s, um, there were you know a few other people kind of peppered in there, but it was yeah. you know, sort of this like outsider's perspective of you know just the shifting politics and the eventual rise of the Third Reich. So, yeah, I mean that was definitely a thing, especially for you know common Germans, you know, in you know just soldiers like we we read about. I mean, yeah. they just they really did want to build you know camaraderie and have you know sort of these these close political and, and personal ties. Sure. So anyway. That's a little bit of a random, a little bit of an thing. aside, but back to the, uh, back the story to the, itself, the Christmas truce itself. Was it at all surprising to you? I mean, like obviously, um, it was surprising in a sense because you kind of had all the ingredients for it to just not work, right? Sure, yeah. You didn't have direct communication. Your uh, NCOs and superior officers, for the most part, were against any ideas of of ceasefires or that, or mm-hmm. just sort of the general idea of um, deviating from sort of the military command structure yeah. and, and mind and all that. And you know, you saw in years afterwards, they damn well made sure that that was not going to be something that happened. But yeah. this still being kind of very early on and the scope and the scale of this war and kind of just everything that had happened up until that point and basically just the the nature of trench warfare in and of itself where it's kind of you're very, you know, you're very close in proximity. So it's kind of like your experiences for the common, for the common guy, mm-hmm. the common troop on either side, your experiences are very similar. Yeah. They don't really deviate. And so you kind of have that sort of maybe mutual respect mm-hmm. for your, for your, enemy in a sense or that not i wouldn't say camaraderie but you have that kind of shared experience that lends itself 
I think, easily to kind of breaking down that sort of barrier of yeah. of uh, communication. And so, yeah, it was kind of just like a, it was just a little bit right of uh, of the connections all all together that yep. kind of just formulated into this uh, into this really you know kind of like momentary uplifting idea of sort of human connection and human sort of uh, joy and and love and and care for kind of your your fellow man and yep. all of that to sort of take take a day away from, you know, what would be considered at the time sort of the worst of, of what human experience could bring about. And yeah. at the end of the day, it is nice, um, you know, for whatever reason, it is always nice to see instances like that or to at least read about instances like that because especially when you talk about things like war mm-hmm. and even things when you can talk about them so far removed in like historical context, which is kind of how we basically talk about, you know, the early 20th century with yep. World War One and Two. It still is, I don't know, it's, it's, it still is refreshing to this day to think of, you know, that idea kind of persisting of that human connection, that human bond. Um, granted, today, I don't know exactly how things work today because things are so, I don't know, the, the hierarchy and the military uh, machine and the way that everything works. And obviously also just sort of the well mechanized of, warfare. Is, sure. And yeah. the lack of proximity, you know, you're not yeah. stuck in a trench in rainy, you know, France during the winter, a yeah. hundred meters away from your enemy for months at a time. So it's just, you're so far removed, I think from the, the enemy that you're fighting. And I think that that, well, obviously not entirely, you know, you're up close, but I think as a whole, you know, it, it stands to dehumanize kind of the the enemy or the opposition. Mm-hmm. Whereas this whole experience, it was very humanizing because it's like you're you're in the shit, you're going yep. through it with them, and regardless of what their motivations and your motivations are, it's not as though they're your own personal motivations. It's you feel as though you have a duty to do to your country, or you've been enlisted to do right. a duty right. for your country, and you're simply trying to stay alive and do it to the best of your abilities in order to get back home. So. And I think the other thing too is that this is sort of the beginning of the end of like the era of like gentlemanly honor and you know I I think that by the time we hit like you know Vietnam yeah. um or Korea probably more more correctly um you no longer behave the same way that you did, especially in World War One. Right? How much? How much would you attribute that to a difference in age versus how much would you attribute that to just uh, regional and cultural differences? And you're talking about areas that were heavily colonialized, and you just, yep. I mean, when you're talking about World War One, you're talking about again people that you had Germans that had lived in Britain and left, and you know these yep. people that very much were. Culturally similar, ethnically similar, very just very closely related in terms of things like Christmas, for example. Sure, sure. You would never see that, or I would assume that you would never see something to that extent in, let's say, the Vietnam War, just because of that huge cultural difference and that huge right. just ethnic and cultural and experiential background between those two societies. That that is kind of one of the unique things about. Um, World War One and Two is you do get these very similarly backgrounded nations and peoples and all these yeah, you know kind yeah. of coming together on a global stage in in opposition through war and 
you don't really see that anymore nowadays. That's it's basically not that you see all out war. Things are mostly against sort of like fringe, uh, fringe, I guess, governments or uh, insurgent groups or sure. you know terrorist groups like that. So you you don't really have that kind of stage set to have gentlemanly honor. So to no, say. but I mean. I, even remove remove that concept from you know war. Just think about politics, and it, I mean pick, yeah. pick American politics, you know British politics, French politics, you know any European, uh, you know or Western European Western nation, sure, uh, you know political sphere. Um, there's very little honor left in in our sort of interaction with people who oppose us. Yeah, and uh, you know I, I think th- there are still certainly people out there. But the the norm no longer across the world is that you know we are going to to act honorably and respectfully, um, even if that means you know our business is is murder, right? Yeah. And uh, so I I do I do really believe that one probably the world wars were the the beginning of the end of of some of those things because. Once you strip people's basic humanity through, you know, atrocities like the Holocaust or just the the sheer like breadth of destruction and death that yeah. both of those wars brought, the the new weapons, I mean, it changes it changes things forever, and you 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 can't go back, yeah. right? Vietnam was was horrific uh, horrific as well, and you know now we just get into into a whole different set of now warfare, like you said, where it's, it's yeah, it's never. it's mechanized and yeah. it's re- becoming more and more remote, You're so and, detached, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I, I I I'm not surprised that this necessarily happened at this point in time. I would be floored if this ever happened, like. In another setting in in human history again, like I, I don't think we would ever see this this kind of thing again. Well, I know they go over the whole sort of the kind of like live and let live, and I say they, he, the um, we go over kind of the ideas of you know how throughout throughout history and sort of closely fought infantry combat when you have sort of sides that are very similarly. Uh, stationed or mm-hmm. engaged in very close proximity that they have shown to have those moments to rest, retrieve, you know, bury the dead out of kind of a mutual respect. So you have seen it. Yeah, but not like not, fraternization. Not, not like not, not trading sharing. buttons and, yeah. and cigarettes and candy and playing, you know, football and right. all that. Or letting yeah. somebody get behind your, your lines, catching them and being like, you didn't see any of this, right? Oh yeah, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna right, say right, a word. Right. Yeah. Like the like the guy on the bicycle. So yeah, I but I'm I'm shocked and I don't know, did, have they made a movie out of this that you're aware of? They have, yeah. Okay. There was a uh well they've there have been a different shorts or whatnot, but I believe okay. back in two thousand and five they made a uh it was uh it was a foreign language show. I think I can't remember if it was a British or German or French, but uh, I'd seen bits of it, okay, but yeah, it's basically kind of surrounding the circus. It's got Daniel Bruhl in it. From uh, he was in some of the Marvel movies. He was Nicky Lauda in in Drive. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Got you. Uh, I don't know. I can't off the top of my head think of any other actors that I know that are that are in that. But yeah, it was okay. I'm, I'm from what I'm, I little bits I saw. I'm shocked that that this like they haven't made a blockbuster movie out uh, of it's, this. I mean, yeah, it's like a perfect. It's a perfect mix yeah. of uh, of things, but you know, I mean, uh, like I said, if you think about World War One movies in general, 
Not they, a lot. 1917 is coming yeah, out. Yeah, that. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I feel like uh, maybe we'll get a shift towards World War One. It's not that that's uh, not that there's a hipster trend in in I guess knowledge or depiction or stories or writing or anything about yeah. World War One, but it is kind of interesting because it's so grossly overshadowed by by yeah. everything that happened in World War Two, and that it's just World War Two is so much more. Uh, it's just been so much more of a inspiration for stories and yeah. movies and all well, of these tales and everything that's happened. There's just this wealth of, you know, things to draw from that you kind of forget about it. Yeah, because you had, you know, video cameras becoming uh, a thing. You had photography that was becoming much more a thing in the yeah. 1920s, 30s, certainly by the 40s, the height of the war. Radio, uh, you know, movies like the the all of those things you know really helped i think memorialize some of that in world war ii where we didn't have some of that information in world sure. war one so you know I, th- I think that there was that to draw from and then you know just i think the conversations that were necessary around the holocaust make make the conversation have to come to the the forefront yeah that know? is true the yeah the whole um i guess sort of ethnic cleansing portion mm-hmm. of World War II kind of elevated it beyond just a conflict. It right. became sort of an ideological, even more so, you know, every war is obviously an ideological struggle between the sides, but even right. more so in World War II, it became sort of a fight for Western ideology or the sort of the preservation of, of freedom and, and yeah. individual rights and, and humanity and things like that, that that I guess didn't exist into the, in the same scale in World War I, even though you kind of had, you had similar... Well, you had things that were borderline as far as inhumane with yeah. chemical weapons and, and just sort of the development of military technology that they in no way, shape, or form had ways of dealing with. You know, you had machine guns and trench warfare and all this. But yeah, World War Two really overshadows that because mm-hmm. of the, like I said, because of the, it's really easy too because you know, you know the the figures that are involved. Yeah. You know Stalin. You know Mussolini. You know you know Hitler. You know FDR. I mean Churchill. You you have these kind of like characters that sort of define everything else that is about their their countries and yep. their military involvement and all that. And yeah, it's crazy. It so. is it is nuts. Okay, so I I have a couple parting thoughts and then I I want to talk generally about Christmas. Let's do it. We can rate the book and do all that jazz. Yeah. So I would I will say that I I didn't enjoy this book. I found it extraordinarily readable. I I read it through in basically two sittings. Yeah. Um it's a it short was, read. It was it was quick. Um it was easy, I, you know, other than lacking the context. So I, you know, skimmed over when it was like regiment whatever i was like fuck it it doesn't matter like yeah you know let's get to more Ger- Christmas german stories. german or otherwise you know yeah. let, me, let me know and then you know i basically move on so um you know I, the the story to me is so extraordinary that this like format of you know nonfiction, uh, yeah. other than the, the the firsthand accounts i think it does does it kind of an injustice sure. and that's why it's I, I think fiction is is so important. Even um, even fiction that isn't like rooted in historical stuff, you could you could still take the essence of this idea and turn it into a you know sci-fi novel or a fantasy novel, right? Sure. Um, you could obviously write you know a historical fiction thing, which to me I think would be the most moving 
like way to depict this or a movie or, or something like that yeah. because that was it sort is of so humanizing. Yeah. It what a, what a cool story that these these two like diametrically opposed um, sides in in their you know mentality of of war and and all of that find this you know universal thing and somehow create trust to have not only a night to do you know bury the dead and, and do all of that but actually you know spend time together and exchange gifts and find merriment and you know see the humanity yeah. on on the other side and then the the despair that comes from knowing that they just afterwards went right back to their trenches and continued yeah. along with the status quo of the war yeah yeah it, it is it's a weird just sort of emotional ride that you go on there. Yeah. And but but you have to get there yourself, I guess is yeah. my point when you read nonfiction. And that always kind of sucks because frankly, I like to be lazy. Unless I'm doing like research, you know, sometimes yeah. I like to be you spoon like to fed be, the emotion. You like to be brought on a ride that, yeah. that the that the author is bringing you on. Right. Instead of having to kind of pull your own thoughts and, and nuggets out of there. But it's fine. I do want to touch on something real quick. Okay. And that's the last bit of this book. Yeah. So we go from kind of the, you know, the firsthand accounts and all the background information and basically the events that took place mm -hmm. between these. And then we kind of get to the little, the, the in section of this where the what it's if. basically just a what if. What if the fighting had stopped? What if the ceasefire had led to an armistice, had led to a peace treaty, had led to no more fighting? Mm -hmm. and it's kind of long ranging things from women in the workforce to sort of the meta narrative surrounding Europe at that time going that would eventually build and lead to World War II to all sorts of things to America's place, you know, within the world. Because when you think about it, America really didn't become that superpower, that grand superpower on a stage until we get to World War II. And Correct. so things yep. had necessarily, if the tension and the ending and everything surrounding World War I had not directly led into World War II, you know, mm -hmm. how would things have looked for America on an economic stage? And it's one of those things that you look at it and you go, okay, this is, this is an interesting food for thought, but in practice it was just like, I don't, you know, this is all just kind of like weird speculative. Like that to me seemed like it could be another book, right? Like yeah, it was oh, for sure. Just it's like, what if the war ended here? And here's, you know, here's a, a heavily detailed, like here we'll go through all the reasons why this could have happened or yeah, this could have happened yep. as a food for thought thing, not as kind of just a little sort of like addendum chapter to the back end of this book. It felt a little out of place. It felt weird. It felt yep. just pointless. Yeah, I think it should have been a, a, a postscript because, again, like throughout the book, he tried to collect these first-person narratives yeah. and kept it very um, rooted in, you know, a specific battlefield, a specific company, somebody's, you know, specific story that they were mm. trying to tell. And then, yeah, you do get this sort of meta-analysis um, in that last section that I'm like, yeah, I, I I don't need this. Like yeah, it just it, pulls it, you it, out. Yeah, it, it 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 does very much so, and yeah, I, I found I found that I wanted to know a lot more um, about the just a specific scenario. Again, I just no. I just keep going back to like the the fiction thing. The one thing that really hooked me was um, the guy that that went to the estate and found the found the bike and was and was riding around behind enemy lines like that was a little bit jarring because that was the first time that we got pulled from these sort of like um, commentary and and uh, an actual like pieces from firsthand accounts to something that resembled a narrative and and it was like the yeah. I don't know ninth chapter or something when it started that way I was like what the fuck is he doing <laughs> this yeah is, this is weird. 
but that was the most satisfying part to me was, you know, we're, we're there, kind there of was some, the somewhat of a character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you want to rate it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, I'll go first because it was my book. I'm going to okay. donate it. It was it was an okay little nugget for uh, just getting some cool firsthand uh, stories and whatnot on the on the actual Christmas truce. But in no way, shape, or form is that exclusive to this book. That information you can get basically anywhere. So it's kind of... The book really doesn't serve that great of a purpose of kind of like pushing you along, as we've said, on kind of the narrative path of everything. It doesn't really set this up in kind of a very exciting way. It's pretty dry, pretty heavy on like surrounding details that are almost inconsequential to a reader unless you're specifically reading uh, for maybe a history class on on, on, uh, world history. Um, So with with all that being said, I'm going to donate it. It was an interesting... A little jaunt into nonfiction, and especially with the topic, because this is our Christmas episode. But I think we'll stick to fiction for now. Okay, uh, I'm gonna stick this on my bottom shelf. I, I agree. Wow, with, I agree were, with you everything. were a solid donate when we walked in. I, I, I agree with everything that you just said. Um, but I will argue that it's one of my favorite Christmas like stories that I've that I've ever That's run fair. across. Of like real actual things, right? Yeah. Like Christmas, you get all these little gimmicky things, like you know, sick little Joey is trying to buy a a gift for his mom and doesn't have yeah. money, and some lady at the register pays for it, kind of shit. And uh, while that's you know cute, and you know you can make nice little songs about it for for the radio, uh, you don't like get a lot of actual like Christmas stories, right? Christmas Carol, you got ghosts, you know, dragging some rich guy around. Tell sure, him why he's an asshole. Christmas has its share of short fictional stories. It is yeah. it is interesting to get a genuine what you could say Christmas miracle. It really like because the, th- the thing especially now like the last few years uh for Christmas for me like you know my wife and I tried to take over Christmas and then we had my grandmother pass away and family drama and yeah. like you know we're trying to bring her family's traditions into mine and you know things don't work and so things start to get you know sort of cut up and now Christmas for me resembles nothing of what it did you know in my childhood because because the people aren't aren't there anymore uh the traditions really aren't there anymore so there are things that I try to like you know grab onto and I I sort of empathize as crazy as, as it is with you know these guys at war who are stick or who are stuck in extraordinary situations who you know for especially like the Germans Christmas means something you know very serious and um you know, very family oriented and, and home oriented and to not have that, but then to, to sort of find that in a way I think is sort of like the meaning of Christmas. And, you know, I, I just, I found that concept very heartwarming. So, yeah. uh, I'm, that's why I'm going to stick it on my bottom shelf. Okay. Otherwise the, I agree with everything you said about yeah. donating it. That's hundred percent do. No, absolutely. That's fair. So I like, I mean, an interesting read. If you're, yeah. if you are reading along with us, let us know what you think on yeah. Twitter because we're, you know, I mean, I, I kind of went back and forth between keeping this on the bottom or donating, but ultimately, I think I could have probably, again, I, I can maybe watch that movie and and get uh, get basically the same feeling and get some firsthand accounts here and there, so. Yeah, so uh, we actually got an email from a listener. Did we? Yes, uh, Andrew. Okay. Um, and he he read this book uh, before, you know, obviously we released the episode. 
And uh, he wrote a whole long thing about how he thought about it. He was also a donate. Yeah. Uh, and the, I think the the best thing that he said is is okay. so concise. Uh, it mostly felt like a bland uh, resuscitation of names, dates, and places. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. There's a lot of that. It is. It is. It is chock full of it. It's it's definitely a book written by an academic. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is my field of study. I have to put all of this in here. Yep. Around this is the, you know, when you talk about the nougaty center and the chocolate cover. Yeah. On like a piece of candy, this is like the sawdust and sand and like blah, like just practical shit. Yeah. That covers an actual like little nugget of of goodness in there, which is the actual firsthand accounts and and just the the overall the overall absurdity of how this happened and how kind of things took a break for at least in that small area of the world things took a break from world war 1 for a day or two some for a couple of days and yeah. then went right back along chugging and <laughs> it's just the human the human condition in and of yep. itself so well let's talk about christmas let's talk about christmas so you did mention this is your and we'd mentioned on the uh, podcast previously so this is your first christmas in the new place and yep. you guys i don't know like going from kind of having a house to now living you know, in a high-rise apartment, I guess, obviously, decoration costs are probably down. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I spent an extraordinary amount of money the first couple of years we lived in the house, like, yeah. just... Because we, we, like, doubled the, the size of our house. Yeah. And uh, so you just, like, fill space, you know, with, yeah. with stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a little bit nice this year not to pull anything out. But, um, yeah, we, like, we, you know, we tried to host Christmas the last few years when we were at the house, and it was... Uh, with varying degrees of success, um, you know, and uh, I'm I'm relieved to be going to my in-laws down in Houston, yeah, which will be enjoyable um, because I really don't have to do anything other than just you know wash, show the dishes, up, eat like, food, be pleasant, yeah. It it'll uh, it'll be it'll be all right. What yeah. are you guys doing for the holidays? Um, well, originally I was going to be working on Christmas, but I got that off, so. Like, we were going to do just, like, a dinner and relax, but I think we're going to do a whole family over at our place. We kind of did cool. that for Thanksgiving. We, Sarah and I hosted Thanksgiving very small. My mom, yeah. her mom, her sister. Um, and I think we're probably going to do the same crowd for Christmas. So just hang out, cook, do some some small gift exchanges, and watch Christmas movies. I may force be- them to watch this movie. I'll find it and be like, guys, it really happened. Yeah. So, it's the best Christmas story ever. Told. God, speaking of Christmas movies, man, we've been trying. We've been trying to just like churn through as many of them as we can. Yeah. Obviously, knocking staples up off the list. So, I think the last staple that I have that we have to watch, we're saving until Christmas Eve, and that's It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Um, I've that, never seen it. Really? I've never seen it. I mean, it's very long. Yeah. Uh, it's like three hours long. Really? Yeah. And it takes a while to like actually get. It's about. An hour and a half of just like build up, and then you actually get the whole like plot of the movie where it's like, oh, he doesn't exist, and he's seeing the effect he has on this town in his life, and and, and so, but it's a good, you know, it's it's an interesting movie. My grandmother loved it. We watched okay. it all the time for Christmas, so it's kind of more of a tradition to do. Yeah. But man, I'll tell you what, one of the the traditions this year that will now be a tradition going forward, is watching really shitty Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies. Okay. Because they're all very formulaic, but they're all amazing. Okay. Uh, in like, their in their impressive ability to suck. Um, <laughs> like Sharknado bad? No, 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 no. Just, just like, just all around, just 
weird sort of contrived plot and not great acting. Uh, okay. One of my favorite ones was Married by Christmas, where it's these uh, two sisters, and one is like a big, she's like, uh, you know, working in their, their parents or like their food distribution company. And she's like a very serious workaholic, doesn't have a relationship. Yeah. I know their sister's getting married, and then her mom lets them know at Thanksgiving, well, Grandma on her will, she was very old-fashioned and didn't want the company to pass to a woman. So she has a clause in there that whichever the first one of you that gets married, your husband will get the company. And it's just now the oh, workaholic good. one is trying to get a, trying to get married so that she doesn't lose control. It was a mess. It was a mess. It was interesting, but it was a mess. What? Yeah. The actual hell. And then another one was, uh, oh, God, what was it called? It was like Country Home Christmas or something. It was a country singer who, like, goes back home, and she's, uh, she's like, trying to, she's, she's lost her mojo. She can't, oh, her last God. country songs haven't been that good, and so she's going to be switching to pop, and she's got to get to New York by Christmas Eve for this big concert where she's unveiling all these new pop songs and being at home with her mama and rekindling with the people of this town, especially... The, the guy who was, you know, supposed to be the one who she runs into because the roads are snowed over and there's only one way in and out. And, of course, he drives the, the snowplow and the the twist is that he's also the mayor and they're putting on their oh, own concert what? to save the theater that her dad owned <laughs> so it doesn't get turned into condos. It's oh, a mess. It was great, God. though. It was really, really good. So those those little nuggets sprinkled in with, you know, like Elf and Grinch. And yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, Christmas Vacation, uh, just yeah. stuff like that. We've, we've only watched we've only watched Christmas Vacation this year. Really? Yeah. But that's like your number one. Oh yeah, that's your favorite. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one's it's definitely top five for me. But mine mine kind of shift around some some yeah. combination of that and the, the Grinch and It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Carol and some other stuff. So that that movie for me has like shifted meaning over the years because like when I was a kid, we started watching it. It was just like, oh, this is just like raunchy and there's a lot of like slapstick stuff. You yeah. Know, him, him and the Christmas lights. And uh, now that I, I've like hosted Christmas a few times, like I am neurotic Clark. Like yeah. when it, when, when it was, when it was Christmas time, like there was just, there was yeah. no avoiding it. Yeah. Clark is, Clark is as you, as you pass into your thirties as a, yeah as a man who's, I guess in a, family or at least sort of in a relationship that's kind of like dealing with extended family and dealing with uh just people in general yeah yeah you're like all right i get it I get yeah 100 percent. i used to think he was absolutely freaking crazy when i was a kid and yeah. i think frankly i can be crazy sometimes sure i'm very particular about certain things like i yeah. just want them done in a certain way for whatever reason but yeah i feel like i'm, I'm kind of taking christmas off this year and it it feels Feels kind of good. Yeah. Feels kind of good. Yeah, I think, uh, man, I did, I did miss not having kind of a, a Christmassy get together thing for our friends because yeah. you guys, you guys are normally the ones that oversee that. And no one really picked up the slack this year. I mean, I would have, but we live in a tiny little fucking apartment, so we're not hosting anybody until we get into the house. So yeah, well, yeah maybe we, next year. All right, should we, uh, should we make some plans for the new year? Because we got some, uh, we got some books to read. Let's do it. So. Next episode, you guys get a break. You don't have to read a book. No homework. No nothing like that. Just yep. come and join us. We're going to talk about the last year, uh, just sort of a 2019 recap, 2020, what what we got to look forward to, and uh, maybe some spicy things coming down the 
down the road, I know yeah. at the beginning of this year, we kind of like were doing some changes and changing kind of the format and things like that. Yep. We ended up coming back to, I don't know what we'd been doing and that's, that's fine. I mean, the whole point yeah. of change is to do it, see if it works. And if not, we come back to it. So exactly. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that. I do, I do have some potential changes, slight changes for, for 2020. Yeah. I think as we, as we grow and mature a bit. Uh, there's maybe some some things that are going to be coming down the pipe, but yeah, we've got that recap episode coming out on January sixth, and then um, the episode that's coming out on January twentieth is going to be uh, I, w- I would argue our biggest departure since poetry. Okay, um, so so it hadn't been that long. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a graphic novel, um, and so I I just finished the the Walking Dead, um, so I've been I bought every compendium since they've been doing it yeah and uh so the fourth one just came out and they like surprisingly like kirkman ended the the whole thing yeah and uh so that was a bit of a shock um but kind of kind of cool i I like the way that it ended yeah uh but then i got to thinking about all the different formats of of things that we've never read and i got a lot out of the out of the walking dead at certain places so then I started looking up, you know, popular graphic novels. So ended up um, with uh, Blankets by Craig Thompson. Um, okay. So that one's going to be on uh, on January 20th. And the episode after that uh, will be on February 3rd. And that is going to be Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I saw that book, um, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, whenever yep. I was looking for On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous in Barnes & Noble. Yep. I saw it sitting up in the new bestseller section. I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> yep. I read his book. I read yep. Underground Railroad. So, and I kind of flipped it over, looked at the back cover to kind of get a little blurb of what's it about. And I'm interested. So yeah. it'll be a fun read. Well, and we know he's a good writer and there's yeah. there's, there's something good about that. There so. is a, there's that nice, like warm, fuzzy, like uh, knowing you have a book coming up where it's like, I don't have to worry about, you know, is this writer competent? Am I just going to like lose interest in what the hell's going on stylistically halfway yep. into this book? So. Yep really just allows us to kind of like focus on the story, the vision, everything that he's putting out there because yeah. I think, you know, we were both we both universally praised Underground Railroad at the beginning of this year. Yeah. It was top show for both of us. So I'm yep. excited about that. Yeah, I am too. And uh I mean that carries us through a big chunk of uh the beginning of the year. And you know, we're we're I'm gonna make a concerted effort to try to announce some of my books earlier. I do sure. um want to do some like fan selections. Um and uh, do some polls and things like that um, later in the year to to help kind of uh, pick some books that maybe other people would be interested in, in reading out of, yeah. out of uh, the list of things that I've got. And yeah, I'm I, I I've got a vision for for 2020 based on our 2019 episodes that yeah. I I kind of want to carry forward. So we'll we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, we'll and, talk about that a lot. Maybe some New Year's book resolutions. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Definitely do that. Well. Um, that about wraps up our episode. So Merry Christmas, Jacob. Merry Christmas, Ryan, and Merry Christmas, all of you. And thank you again. I mean, I guess this is the last episode that we're going to put out in 2019. So it's been a fun, a fun second year of, of this podcast. It still amazes me that this is the second year. It feels like nothing. It feels like a few months, but you know, I always find myself going back occasionally and like pulling up some really old episodes, like within the first 10, just listening versus kind of episodes that come out and it's just... It's crazy to think about, but mm. you know, Merry Christmas, super appreciative to, to everyone that gives us a listen. And uh, yeah, this has been a whole lot of fun. So thank you again for another 
thank you, Ryan, too, especially again for another year of of doing this. This has been really fun. Yeah, I mean, we're we're achieving our goal every time yeah. we make an episode, and we're we're just getting started. Yeah, we really seriously are. Yeah. So, uh, again, guys, thank you for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and until next year.